What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bling Talks. Today, we have Glenn Lear of Lear Designs. He's the CEO and founder. Thank you so much for being on here today, Glenn. Where are you located today? I'm located in a town, a little town called Larkspur in California, which is 20 minutes north of the Golden Gate Bridge of San Francisco. Very iconic area. I'm in a little, a little town called Larkspur. And that's where my um, office, my brick and mortar jewelry store is. And also where we have a full studio operating studio with a full-time goldsmith here. My gem cutting uh, operation is here where I do all my master prototypes and things like that. That's yeah, that's amazing. So you're, you're in a really great spot and I'm super excited for you to kind of share how you got sitting in that chair and, and where you kind of came from uh, super cool journey. And for those that are listening, I think uh, his story is going to be very valuable for a lot of people that may be designers or more in the artistic creative type of phase, because he kind of really ran with that. So, so Glenn, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got started in this business. I'd love to hear it. Okay. Well, I was in college for one year and really had no motivation, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And growing up in California with very liberal parents, um, I told my parents that I really don't know what I wanna do. What I really would like to do is take the money that was put aside for me to go to college and take that money and travel around the world. I wanted to see something outside of the bubble of growing up in California. Because we re- I, I, growing up as a child, I never left the state of California. So I didn't really know what existed. But I, in college that first year, I studied a lot about um, cultures around the world, history. I was a history buff. And of course, being an artist, I grew up being an artist. So I actually uh, left college, traveled around the world, spent over six months in Europe, mostly in Italy with all the major museums and art because it was such the center for art during the Renaissance, which was really grabbed me a lot. But after I did all that, I said, you know, I got as far as Greece and I'm going, you know, this is too much like growing up in West. This is Western civil civilization. I really want to see what the rest of the world looks like. So I, I went out on a limb and I decided to fly to Turkey. And at that point, I realized, oh, my God, this is where the East meets the West. And it really did begin to feel different. And from there, I started traveling overland when you could you know, not worry about it, where I traveled through Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan. And then I ended up in India, um, just traveling around India for about six months to where I ended up, ended up in a tiny, tiny little monastery ashram in the Southern rainforest or the Mysore rainforest. And I wasn't really looking for a guru or, you know, I had a spiritual inkling as an artist and also had quite a few, um, unique um, spiritual experiences that led me in that direction. But I wasn't necessarily looking to connect with a guru. I wasn't necessarily attracted to Hinduism. But this little ashram where there were three other Westerners and the rest were all Indians was so off the map in this tiny little town in the Mysore Southern Mountains of India that the guru said to me, well, you can come here, you can live. We're not going to ask anything. So that ended up for another year and a half. I ended up living in Southern India. And that really was an amazing experience because it was kind of like 
the Peace Corps without the Peace Corps, because we did a lot of uh, village building where we built huts for people. We delivered rice to people who were in need. So it was kind of like spiritual, but also putting feet on the ground. After that, it was time. I realized after being gone for two and a half years, traveling around the world, that if I really want to fulfill my destiny, I had to leave this kind of remote ashram um, monastery and put myself back into the world. And again, I returned back to America and I ended up living with my older brother in the upper Haight region of San Francisco. And my brother and I have been very close all our life. He's two years older than me. He gave me a cut polished quartz crystal. And I go, wow, what is this? And he goes, well, this is a piece of quartz. And I go, what's that? I didn't even know because I had no background in jewelry or gemstones. And I was so blown away by this piece of quartz crystal. And you hear people talk about the power of crystal back in the day or now. But back in the day, nobody was talking about it. And I think probably because I was really living in this ashram, um, meditating for eight hours at a day, that as soon as he put the quartz crystal in me, I could feel this electrical energy run up and just explode in my heart and mind. I'm going, whoa, this is so animated. It's not an inanimate object. I want to know how to cut and polish this. So, so as soon as you held it, you've had a, without anybody telling you anything, you nothing. held the crystal and you got some i had a, a total volt jolt of energy and it was so it was so visceral that it led me it opened up my doorway where i said okay i want to learn how to cut these i want to do this and looked around for teachers in america back in the day they didn't exist so i went out and i bought myself lapidary equipment because during the day i was working at a at a restaurant just to make a living not knowing what i wanted to do and I went out and bought my own lapidary equipment. And I didn't want to do the traditional faceting or cabochoning. I wanted to carve like an artist. And that's what I started to do. And little by little, I started to self-teach myself. And during that period, I went back to the university studies and decided, well, this is such a scientific you know, mineral. I want to learn what the medium that I'm working in. So I re-enrolled in college and started taking geology, mineralogy, uh, mathematics that eluded me during high school, all of a sudden, I realized I had this brain where I was taking calculus courses, studying crystallography, mineralogy, and I adapted so well to it that I thought, oh, well, this is really my path, thinking like I'll never make a life cutting stone, because again, I didn't know anything about the jewelry industry. And I, so I thought I'd really become maybe a professor or work as a, a field geologist and do the gem cutting on the side. But lo and behold, while I was in college, I started cutting stones. Um, I started selling them to local jewelers. And I'm going, whoa, okay, I possibly could make a, a history with this or make a lifestyle. Then somebody said to me, Glenn, you should really look into the Gemological Institute of America, which is where you can get your gemology degree mm -hmm. and known as GIA. And I went down to the school where my mother was living, which was like a mile from the school at GIA back in the time and immediately signed myself up for to get a, a graduate gemology degree. And within six months, I found myself at this school studying. So I moved from Northern California moved in with my mom and started doing it. My gemology degree really opened me up to the jewelry industry. And then I wanted to learn about the gemology or the gem industry. So I started to work for a brick and mortar chain store 
in Southern California to learn how to how retail sales work at a retail jewelry store. And I did that for about a year. And then I got an offering to become a um, appraiser for a jewelry store back up here in Northern California. And the jewelry store, I flew back up and we had a partnership where I did, I opened up my own appraisal service through this brick and mortar retail store where I would appraise while you wait and would Polaroid back in the day. This is Polaroid photos of the jewelry and write up so the customer would never leave it, leave their jewelry with me that I do it right in front of them. And then we would type it up and mail it to the client. And that was successful for about a year and a half. And then I decided, okay, now I'm going to go back and try to get back to junk cutting. And during that process is then it, the rest was history. And in that process of after about 10 years doing gem carving, I learned about a little village in Niederoberstein, Germany, that had a 500-year history about gem carving. So my wife and I did a trip to Europe, and we traveled, and we went to this little village, not knowing a soul. And one by one, people would say, oh, you should go meet this master, and you should go meet this master. And back in the day, if you weren't German, you weren't allowed into the gem carving school. But because I had already achieved a certain degree of success, I think, and people would look at my work, I brought a few samples with me. I think the masters go, whoa, how did you learn this? And I go, well, I'm self-taught. And they would go, oh my God, that's amazing. That's not possible. And I go, well, you know, there's no schools in America. There's no teachers. And they go, oh, well, why don't you come work with me in my studio? And then I started working with these masters that for the next 10 years, I would go back to EDAR every year and spend two, three weeks studying with, working with. And then little by little, because I had such radical outside of the box ideas that didn't fit this 500 year tradition, these masters wanted to work with me because we had these ideas. So we started carving together and creating a whole project called Visionary Gem Art that I've done, which are these big objects where we would facet these big gemstones and then do intaglio, which is carving into it, cameo style and doing these multiple reflection pieces. And that was also successful. But in that process, I also realized, okay, to get really on in the map or on the map of being a successful gem carver, I need to enter, need to start carving and entering into gem carving and jewelry design contests. And that was where I think my window of who I was on the map started to open up. And I started to get a lot of success as I started winning these awards. And as soon as you win these awards, then the editors of trade magazines want to know who you are and want to write articles about you. And then all of a sudden your work starts ending up on the covers of magazines. So I've been over my career, at least over 22 magazine covers. I've had dozen magazine articles written about me. Um, and so that that's basically the nice. beginning of my success. So I really kind of did all that and created quite a following and a history where now I'm a known entity in the gem world. Yeah, that is incredible. So um wasn't born in the in the jewelry business, didn't know <laughs> this is actually really funny. <laughs> so didn't know anything about it, just was going on vacation, wanted to travel the world, took one step in front of the other other, really just followed, I think, your passion. That's exactly how I would say it. I'm going to get to that like that, okay? And, and I think that major key in business, major key in what you do occupationally in life.
but so then so then goes out gets his somebody puts quartz in his hands he runs with it the rest is history self-taught gem cutter getting the awards in 20 something plus magazines and i think it you know it's funny is every time you would go on vacation something amazing would happen you know you go to right. Jeremy and and you meet that whole connection or whatever but um that's an that's an incredible story um what was pro can i ask you what's was your most challenging period um you know what was what was that toughest kind of period starting out yeah in the beginning it was starting out because i i would have a job at night to kind of pay the, to kind of keep my lifestyle going in and uh work even though my wife was working during the day i would work at night just to make a living and then during the day, I would go ahead and work on my craft and my art and begin to build my studio. That took a long time to, to establish myself. And then once I started to establish myself, then it was willing to show up at trade fairs and have a booth like at the in the famous gem and jewelry show in Tucson, Arizona, where I go every year now with a booth and I, I put I put out my wares like any trade show and you wait for people to come by. And that was the beginning of what started me down the booth. And I think Anthony, one of the keys that you really hit on, hit the nail, hit the hammer right on the head of the, the nail is that people ask me that all the time. And really the thing is you need to just follow your passion. And if you follow your passion, the magic happens. And I really say it's magical. You, you don't know where it's gonna lead you, but mm -hmm. so often when you follow your passion, it's amazing how you, the magnetism attracts the right people into your life. And that has pretty much been my life's journey is like one magical thing after another has opened up literally over my life. Like let's jump forward to 2008, already had a very successful business, was selling my gemstones to at least a hundred jewelry stores around the country in America was selling to jewelry manufacturers in uh, Japan because they were very big in Japan and my carvings were very big hit and was selling to a couple big uh, jewelry designer manufacturers there was in one of the uh, major department stores called Takashim Takashimaya um, that's like a Neiman Marcus and but like but exactly a Japanese and come 2008 and literally all of my retail clients in america pretty much disappeared and and of course japan was already going through their their recession so they were no longer coming to the trade fair so i was literally literally trying to figure out how am i going to save my business because it was like what am i going to do so it's a start over it was a reset and so that was probably one of the key most difficult transitions where just when you think you're established, yep. something comes along outside of you that's outside your control where you no longer can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so again, magically, my wife and I goes, well, am I gonna, my business is gonna fold? Do I have to close my brick and mortar? You know, I, I used, I was using up all my savings to keep the company open with the lights on. And I had to let go of an apprentice who worked for me for over 10 years. I had to let him go. It was really a tough time. And my wife and I sat down and we really are very good together in that we discussed like, okay, if I was to reinvent myself, what would it look like? And I said, well, you know, I'm very good as a speaker. 
I really do well. I've done a lot of conferences where I've spoken to audiences with a thousand people in the audience. So, you know, what would really be incredible is to find myself on television, selling my work like a TV channel, like QVC. Wow. And, and it was all dreaming it. It was all coming from a dream state, like imagining. So like you hear this, nowadays they barter, they banter and like you create your own reality. Well, what does that mean? It's like, well, if you dream big enough, you create a space for that to come. And out of that, out of that dream that my wife and I decided that's really my pursuit. How's that gonna happen? How am I gonna right. make that happen? Yeah. And and you know, where do you start from there? Do you knock on the door with QVC? Because I had already had QVC reach me several years earlier, but for many reasons, it just didn't take place and didn't take hold. And I was, um, I, I had written, I've been on board of directors for the American Gem Traders Association and had written bylaws and constitution. So then the International Colored Stone Association heard about me and said, well, will you come and write our bylaws and constitution? Because we're having trouble and your name has come up as somebody who knows what they're doing. So I said, sure. So I did it pro bono and went to New York a couple of times and worked with the executive director at that time and rewrote it. So long story short, out of that, I had spoken already at the ICA when it was in Australia. So out of that, they said, well, Glenn, we know we didn't pay you to do this, these constitutions. We're gonna give you a free conference when we do the show in um, Brazil this time. And I said, great. So I'm gonna go to Brazil. I'm gonna be at this conference. But they have these, they have these also tours that they do for limited like 35 people. And really quickly, I don't want to drag on because I know time is precious here. Um, I went and did the conference and I put out $3,000 that I didn't have back in the day after post 2008 and decided I'm going to take a risk. So I took the huge risk putting out the money uh, to do the tour, to go on this tour with 35 others to 10 different uh, gem mines in Brazil. Well, magically out of that, I met this man called Steve Bennett. And Steve Bennett owned a TV channel in England called, back in the day, it was called Gems TV. It's called Gemporia today because he rebranded it. And he came up to me and goes, oh, Mr. Lair, I've heard of you about your lapidary skills, your awards, you know, and I didn't know who this guy was. He goes, I have a TV channel in England. Would you be willing to be interviewed about lapidary for my book that I'm writing called the Encyclopedia Gemstone, excuse me. And I said, absolutely. So on this mind tour over 10 days, little by little, he and I really hit it off. And he says, well, you know, I, every mine I go to, do you mind if I interview you about these mines? Because you're very knowledgeable about gem cutting. You have a geology, mineralogy background. I'd literally love it because we do these documentaries of every mine we go to. I said, absolutely. And out of that 10 days, he then said to me, Glenn, I'd really like to bring you onto my channel and offer your products to my TV channels. And I'm going, the light bulb. Whoa, yeah. Whoa that's, there's my dream. That was, I visualized it. My wife and I created the space for it to happen. This guy shows up magically in my life. Literally didn't have to go after him. He came to me though. I, put, I took the risk by putting myself in situations where I would be open to those opportunities. Yeah. So I think the key is you have to put yourself out. You have to absolutely take risk. 
you know, you don't necessarily know if it's going to pay off, if there's any reward there, but you have to be able to put yourself out in such a way that you're open to it. And I think out of that, the, the, the magnetism draws the right people. And that's exactly. And now I would say 12 years later, I'm still an absolute huge success on Gemporia where I brought that product. And out of that meeting, he introduced me to a factory in Jaipur that could produce it because literally you can't do that kind of product numbers where they yeah. want 1,500 to 3,000 units for television. I then started going to India where my good friend had a factory where we started producing. And he already knew who I was because back in the day I used to speak at GIA. He was one of those students that were in the audience that I never met. And he said to himself, one day I want to work with Glenn Lair. And literally, I guess through the magic of, of Steve Bennett introducing me to Manoj Goyal and Manoj Goyal thinking about, well, I love this guy, Glenn Lair. I want to work with him one day. We met together. So that you can't make up that kind of magic. Yeah, that's, that's, that was totally. And the rest so, is all history. So, yeah, like so. So, guys, or Glenn is majority of his business now today is done on QVC. Of course, the brick and mortar obviously been in the business for a long time. So the relationships, you can, you can pick up the phone and call them if you need, I think. Um, but uh, I think it was very important because I think there's a lot of talented people. I, one other thing before I go to that, I think what was very important about your story is you were true to self. I think you really yeah. just kind of, you were true to self. You kind of just listened and you kind of just flowed in and out like water and just kind of kept listening to yourself and Look how things worked out with no. So um, I think there's a lot of people that are talented in the creative side of things um, and designers that they can be great designers. They don't know not really anything about business, really anything about digital marketing. Um, so I think it'd be cool to talk a little bit, uh, kind of run a little bit close, but let's talk about the business. What's it like doing business on QVC? Uh, I think you kind of told us how you got to that. They're basically you know, doing purchase orders. Are you going on QVC? Tell us a little bit about what that's like. Right. So I'm constantly, again, reinventing myself. That's a key. You, mm -hmm. you know, just when you think you've reached your mark, you, you can maybe enjoy that, that moment of success, but you can't sit on your laurel. So you've got to really think about what's going to happen you know, six to eight months down the road. So I have to constantly, so I'm constantly reinventing myself. And what does that mean as a jewelry designer and as a gem carver? I'm constantly coming up with new product and prototypes and I'm constantly reinventing new cuts. And those new cuts then I present to my factory in Jaipur that they then can produce. So the, how it works with QVC, let's say, go. And because of this, I want to backtrack just a quick moment, is because of the success that I had with the Jamporia channel in England, where now I have a huge following, you know, I have thousands of followers that collect my stuff. Some of these people have bought over 100 units of my jewelry over the 10 years, hundreds. I mean, they really collect them thinking that, that down the road, they're going to be worth, worth something more. Um, because of that, then I was introduced to a fulfillment center who sells and fulfills for QVC. And so through that, we went together, the company and I called Ultimate Trading. We went to QVC together and met the buyers. 
And out of that, they then saw what I did and goes, oh my God, we don't have anything like this on television. We really want your products. And then the rest is history. That's how I got there. So what the, how QVC generally works is they will see your products and they'll start a little, they start a little slow and they'll order maybe 500 units, maybe a thousand units, and then they'll give it a run and see how well you do on what's called PPM. And the PPM means, for those of you who don't know, it's called profit per minute. So airing television in America is super expensive and you have to be able to fulfill that PPM that they then see that you're bringing a margin and that they can see the success. And from the get go, I was generally, they want to know that you're doing at least 50% of the products that you've brought. And from the beginning, I think I've been averaging about 70% of the products that I've been bringing enough to make it a success that they keep reordering and pre bringing me back. Now, the goal for me now with QVC after two and a half years is I'm part of what they call gem day or gem week. And I'm part of a, a, an hour, two hour show. And I have eight hours, eight minute slots. So you got to work really fast. Fortunately, all those years of Gemphoria on TV, the thing is, when I tell people about being on television, you really need to, you know, you can tell your story, but be succinct. So like, if you're going to tell yourself about your life, you know, you can tell it in two, three minutes. Let's see you get it into 30 seconds. So you need to say when you're doing it, whenever you're talking, you really need to get your, your, your lines down to 30 to 60 seconds. You can't drag on. So when you're on TV and you only have eight minutes, whatever you're going to say along with the host there is say it in 30 seconds. Don't drag on. Be very succinct. And I think for all the hundreds of hours that I've had already on TV, I've been very focused. And I also look at the camera, look at the lens, and imagine who I'm speaking to a human. So I'm not talking to the presenter. I'm looking at the camera like I'm looking you in your eye. And I'm speaking directly to the viewer. Question. So is it you with one of their salespeople? You know, like how they yes. all like, and you're the designer. So they come to you yes. and you're, you know, you're talking about how it's cut and all that. That's how it works. So you guys are going on together. You're part yes. of the show. You're, you are a team. That is they have, they have, they have the presenter or host who, who maintains the sales and you're there to educate entertain uh tell them about your product and what's so unique about it what you know a little bit about your history and also the hosts are also very prepped because what they'll do is they'll read up they'll go on they'll go on google and do a google search find out who you are know about all your highlights they'll bring it up and they and basically you're entertaining and bringing you're bringing validity to your product so one of the things i tell about people is you know because this industry is notorious for people copying other people and so one of the keys is in the jewelry industry and gem cutting is one of the things you have to realize is the brand can't be separated from the product and the product can't be separated from the brand right, so the let's touch on that so brand say that again so people can understand that yeah so what i mean is the brand is layer and the layer brand has a history and and a validity of my let's say now 40 years behind me. So if somebody searched up the typed in L-E-H-R-E-R -E and discovered me, they would see the brand and all the things I've, I've achieved everything. And then the product is what we're presenting that day. So let's say most recently I was on QVC and I have what's called my nine point star cut. 
And that cut is a very unique cut that I, I've developed and invented. So now when people think of the Lair brand, they'll think of the nine-pointed star or they'll think of the Taurus ring cut that I got a U.S. patent for. I'm only one of three patent holders that own a patent from the U.S. Patent Office for utility patent for a gems cut, which means it's completely novel and unique. It's not a design patent. It's what we call a, unique, a, a utility patent. So when somebody sees the Taurus ring, spelled T-O-R-U-S, not like the astrological world, but Taurid or Taurus ring, they type that in T-O-R-U-S ring, they'll see that, they'll see that product. They'll go, oh, that's a layer Taurus ring. That's where the brand and the product can't be separated. So if somebody tries to copy that product, immediately they're not going to get much traction because they can't use the name layer around it because that's copyrighted and I own the trademark name on it. So they can't copy it. So immediately they realize, oh, I can't sell this because it, it's not the product. You know, it's not the brand. So you need the brand and the product to be synonymous. And that's the key, I think, in any product uh, merchandising that you do. You know, you think of Cartier and then you think of the Cartier product, you think of all the products that they've done, like the Cartier ring style or whatever it is. You think of Cartier, which is the brand. Yes, right. You think of Cartier is the brand. And then you think about all their unique products or the Tiffany ideal cut diamond. You know, you always think of the two together and that together adds a provenance and that provenance brings an elevated price point. And so that's kind of what I've been living off of and have achieved primarily. So I know a lot of people are very big on the social media, which I have a big following in social media of over 150,000 followers, which is big, wow. but I'm only, I'm only there between the three, units i have you know i have an instagram channel and i have two facebook channels that i use and out of all those if you add those together there's probably a, i should say more like 140,000 followers and that's i reach out but i don't try to and i have a website but my focus has been because that's where i'm at has been my using my tv channel at direct access and supported those then those people who are marketing and selling me as my go-to channels or go-to websites for people to buy directly my product. I mean, you can go to my website and buy from me and I do very well on that. But my main focus is I know what my core business is. And I think that's the other thing. You need to focus on what your core is and stay focused on that, not to get sidetracked. And that's it. I pretty much know my core of my product and I know my core of the sales avenues that I'm going to put my attention to. Got it. That's great. That's, that's, that's really good stuff right there. And I'm really glad we touched in on the QV side of the business, QVC side of the business, because who knows? I mean, I, I feel like that's a lot of people's dreams, you know, to do. Yeah, that. it is. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, you're on television for eight minutes. You're probably speaking to a minimum of 60 million people at one time. You cannot that's have, high. you yeah, cannot that have is. that access. I mean, you can have, let's say, several hundred thousand followers on Instagram and yeah. be marketing your product there, but that is a passive way. On television, you got a, you've got a, you've got an active audience watching, and that's where people can text in and ask you questions. They can make comments. It's a live interaction me, that I do. Let me do. ask you a question. 
when you go on to QVC, are you are you saying like Lear Designs? Yes. Okay. So then people are probably going to your website. Tons of Absolutely. Okay. I have I have outside sales and actually believe it or not, um, I've had people like discover me on QVC, then go to my website, look at my products that I do. And I have, you know, I don't consider it a big website, but it's enough for people to see what I do. And then they, then they email me and go, Mr. Lair, I love this product. I actually get quite a lot of custom orders from my TV channels that I do directly here, kind of through my brick and mortar. So I get, I get secondary sales from people who see me on TV, may not see the product that I, I'm offering, may not see something that they like on TV, but will come to me because they're thinking of something else and come to me. So I have people across the United States who could go to any brick and mortar jewelry store, but instead calls me up and then we work directly, whether it's through emails back and forth or whether it's like uh, you know live FaceTime, um, sending videos, and so I do actual high-end custom orders that can sell for three to ten to fifteen thousand dollar orders directly over the phone and by doing doing emails back and forth. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is great. Just a lot of good information. I really love your story. I like how you got into it. It really testament to what happens when a human being really kind of just does what feels right. You know, I think we're all raised to just be so, uh, oh, especially men, you know, like, I don't know what it is, right-brained, the masculine side is just so, like, calculated or whatever, but right. the fact that you were able to head off, and, and you know, I kind of did the same thing here in Florida. I left St. Louis, the you know, the family and stuff like that to to build other businesses, and I mean, there was times where my best friends, where we were fighting at lunch, I was like, we're leaving you know they didn't want me to do that it didn't make sense you're crazy blah 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 but you know things work out i guess what do they say um about the brave or something like that right well i think the key point anthony what you need to get across to your viewers is you know you have to dream definitely dream and then you have to pursue that dream by making yourself available in places where you're going to attract people to that dream and the other key that I think that's really, you know, a lot of people have these pie in the sky ideas. If I just, if it comes to me, it'll just happen overnight. And what I tell people is no, what you really need to do is build a momentum. So it's little steps that you achieve and those little steps add up to a big momentum and to allow the momentum to take place, like little successes become big successes. You know, a lot of people I think are illusion, have this illusion that, oh, I made it, I'm on I TV it. now, it's gonna happen overnight. It doesn't work that way. I never had it work that way. The way it's happened to me is it's always happened like, if I put one step in front of the other, I've had, a, I've had a, I've built a momentum and that momentum picks up its own, uh, own energy and that energy then spins, so it brings new opportunities to you. So you keep building on that momentum so that when you look back, let's say after five, six, seven years, you realize, oh my God, look what I, look all the ground I've covered, look all the success I've achieved, you know, and look at all this, you know, notoriety I have and, and you know, financial success. But it's all about pursuing your dream, allowing yourself to envision it, 
and then to put yourself in opportunities that will attract it, like networking, whatever it is your method of networking is. And all that together adds a momentum that in the momentum, when you look back, you look back at all the success comes together in one big picture. Very nice. And and you do you work with retailers? That's probably my, and then I'll have, ask your final question. Do you work with retailers? Yes. So mm -hmm. I have a multi-pronged business. I mean, because I do such unique jump cutting and carving, the retailers across the United States and some in England, a little bit in Germany, but mostly in the United States, they are the brick and mortars where they're looking to have a custom made or custom cut gemstone for them. And they have a unique uh, goldsmith project that they need that maybe their bench jeweler can't do. And between my goldsmith and I, there's nothing we can't do. We're very skilled between him and I. We have over 80 years of experience between gem cutting and goldsmithing. So yes, I work with a lot. I work with more I work with brick and mortar stores that are looking for custom cut or recut stones that they have that their clients bring to them. Or the, the, the customer comes in and goes, gee, I saw Mr. Lair on TV. Can you get his stones in? I'd rather work with you than buying it from the TV channel. And then they'll call me up and go, oh, Glenn, can you send me some, some of your product on memo so I can show it to my customer? So yeah, I do work. I work with retailers around the country. All right, cool. Um, I'm just making note to i always make notes to see who to introduce who to when we get into the community stuff but you know i there's one thing we didn't touch on that i thought was really cool when we had our you know pre-podcast chat was what you're most known for uh you know so if anybody's walking by uh, buy it at the gia school let them know i think that's super cool and then after that to close out just one piece of advice for someone for anybody in the jewelry industry, um, because you've accomplished a lot. Yes. Yeah. So that I think one of the true accolades of my career is I was, I and a partner uh, associate of mine over the years, we developed cutting and polishing large quartz crystals. So nowadays, if you go to these metaphysical stores where they sell polished quartz crystals that the Brazilians do, or the Chinese do, or even some things coming out of Madagascar, he and I actually invented that concept because prior to that, nobody had cut and polished large flat facets on big crystals. And we, we developed that back in the eighties and had a booth in G at Tucson and all these importers or, or mineral or miners would come to our room in Tucson and see this product and go, Oh, that's really amazing. And so they started copying us. So, I don't know if I'd ever get credit for doing it, but the bottom line is we developed them. And out of that, these huge crystals got discovered in 1988 in the state of Bahia, this very large quartz crystal that weighed over 800 pounds. And, and they came to us and said, you guys are known for cutting these big quartz crystals. Will you partnership with us? So my partner, Lauren Stoller and I, co-partnered with the two of the miners in Brazil, Brazilians, and they put up the stone. We put up the hundreds of hours, if not a couple thousand hours of cutting and polishing this huge, large, rutilated quartz crystal that now has permanently, that the money was raised and GIA then acquired it. So now it hangs. So if you were to go to GIA school to get your gemology degree, you're gonna see it hanging in the lobby, in the, the doorway to the museum. And it's called Bahia, B-A-H-I-A. 
Bahia GIA, and you can read up about it. And it's the world's largest hanging transparent gemstone that now is in the school of GIA. So I have a lot of students that come to me. And so, oh, Mr. Lair, I saw your stone. I go by that stone every day before I go to class because it reminds me why I'm in this industry, why I'm in the field. It's such an inspiring piece of work. Love that. That's so. So cool. that's one of the major. That's one of the major accolades. The other major accolade, of course, I invented a Taurus ring cut that awarded me a utility patent with the U.S. Patent Office that I think I'm probably most well known for as a gemstone, and that's spelled T-U-O-R. U-S-R-I-N-G, Taurus ring. And that cut is the one where it, you can set a stone inside of a stone. And that has, I've sold probably at least 10,000, 20,000 units over the years. Oh, man, that's wild. Even, even as a one-off stone that I still sell, if you come to my show in Tucson, or thousands of them on TV channel, both QVC and Gemporia, we sold them as a product and they go from anywhere from like four or $500 a unit all the way up, I think on QVC to about 11 to 1200 a unit. So the TV channels are very affordable product lines. And for what I do through my company, I sell the high end. I have a, I have a blue sapphire from Madagascar that I cut that's, you know, selling for $30,000, you know, that's a blue Taurus ring sapphire. So I've sold high end stones and Ruby sapphire and emerald down to the classical kind of go-to amethyst, citrines, blue topazes, parasolites, you know, the more affordable. Well, they may use the word semi-precious. So the price range is quite diverse. Awesome. That is that is such a fun uh, fun thing to play with, and that's a ton of units. Uh, yeah. All right, man, any last piece of advice before we close it out and tell people where to get a hold of you if they, if they need to? Uh, they can reach me at, Glenn with two N's, G-L-E-N-N, at L-E-H-R-E-R designs with the plural designs.com. That's my direct email or go to www.lairdesigns.com, which is my website. And from there, you can then contact us by via email. Either one is a direct way to reach me. Absolutely, guys. So Glenn Lair with Lair Designs. Uh, Glenn, it's been a pleasure to be, you know, meet you, build a relationship with you and hear your story. Uh, it's been a pleasure and I know you're a busy guy. So from, from me and the community, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, and we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely.